Yes, uh, I will spoon the baby hippo. No problem. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hi, hello, how are you? Welcome back to the podcast that knows that even a small hippo can make a huge impact on the world, the Raw Safari Podcast. That's right, y'all. It's time. I know that most of you have been waiting for this episode since this whole shebang started almost a year ago. I'm not going to say too much before we get rolling, but y'all, it is time for Hashtag Team Fiona. If you don't know who Fiona the Hippo is at the Cincinnati Zoo, then uh, I assume you've been living under a rock, especially since you're listening to a zoo podcast. But hey, no judgment. Fiona is the most famous zoo animal in the United States right now, probably in the whole world. And I feel like it's one of those things where everyone kind of knows her story. They know that she was born prematurely and that it was unlikely she was going to survive, but then she did survive. And that's really what they know. But one person knows the whole story and is here to share it with you all. Jenna Wingate is one of the keepers who works in the Africa section of the Cincinnati Zoo and has been there from the very beginning, including taking care of baby Fiona. So today, you're going to get to hear the whole story from someone who lived it. And of course, while we keep the focus on Fiona a lot, I made Jenna go deep. She is going to tell you what it was like being a keeper watching this little hippo struggle for survival. Watching it, loving it, hoping for the best. You're going to hear some really cool stories, y'all. As a matter of fact, if you know anybody who's a little hesitant about zoos, I think this is the episode to have them listen to because there is so much amazing stuff that this zoo did to keep one little hippo alive. I'm really excited and proud to be sharing this story with all of you. So do me a quick favor. Make sure you're following along at Ross Safari on Instagram and Facebook. Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. Without further ado, here is my interview with Jenna Wingate of the Cincinnati Zoo and hashtag Team Fiona. All righty. So, uh, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Uh, let's start today by you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do here. All right. Uh, my name is Jenna Wingate. I work at the Cincinnati Zoo. I am a senior keeper in the Africa department. So that means I'm really lucky. We have a really diverse collection in this department. And it's the newest one in the zoo. So everything is nice and new. You know, all of our tools, all of our buildings, everything. We're pretty lucky. So everything from giraffe to lions. We take care of a mixed species exhibit with African hoofstock and birds. Then also painted dogs, meerkats, and hippos. 
That's right. And um, first of all, I'm just going to have a laugh right now because you host the the Cincinnati Zoo podcast and I host the Ross Safari podcast. And we were just having a conversation. And then as soon as I hit record, both of us put on our professional voices <laughs> yes. and it is hilarious. So I just I appreciated that. <laughs> this conversation sounded very different like a minute ago. <laughs> it is funny how you just you have a different voice and you you got to give it your all. Yep. I love it. All right. So. Um, you know, in the past on this podcast, we have had some of the uh, some other keepers from Cincinnati on, and we've talked about some of the famous animals here, like uh, Chris and Remus and Rico the Porcupine and Lucille, my my baby bear cat. But um, today we're going to introduce some people to an animal that that they've probably never heard of before. Um, but here at the Cincinnati Zoo, you have a hippo named Fiona. Is that is that? <laughs> Who are we talking about today? Yes, I, I'm very lucky and get to work closely with the not-so-very-famous Fiona the Hippo. <laughs> <laughs> and Fiona is the queen of Cincinnati. Of course, I'm joking. Everybody knows Fiona the Hippo. But if for some reason you don't, you're going to be getting a really interesting story today. The reason I wanted to do this episode is because a lot of people in the zoo community have heard the story of Fiona the Hippo. I want to hear the story of the people that worked with Fiona the Hippo, while also hearing the story of Fiona the Hippo. So um, I'm really excited to hear what it was like for everyone there. And and so, yeah, let's get into it. All right. You know, she is so famous. I feel like I've told her story a million times. So I hope I can give you something that you haven't heard before. Well, you can, because right away, we're going to start off with you. All right. So tell me what got you into this field. Why Why are you working with animals? And how did you get to your current job? Well, that's a good question. I actually didn't grow up wanting to be a zookeeper. I don't know why it wasn't like an option or something that I had thought of, but my kind of defining moment I think a lot of keepers talk about is I was at the Fort Wayne Children's Zoo where I grew up and I saw a keeper outside with, I believe it was a dove or a pigeon, something very simple. And I was so jealous. I thought it was so cool that they could bring it out and we could come up and meet them and hear about it and ask them questions and now looking back, that was probably my defining moment. But all I knew growing up and in college was that I wanted to work with animals, but I did not want to be a vet. So I knew that my heart isn't very good at the tough things and the scary things and the times when animals are sick. I prefer, you know, to stay away from the medical side of things. And also the schooling just wasn't my my rodeo. So I um, went to school for biology and did a few internships and throughout college, I did different types. So one at um, a native wildlife rehab center called um, Wild Care Inc. in Bloomington, Indiana. And that was amazing. I They're run on volunteers. So I got to do things that you probably wouldn't normally get to do as starting off in a zoo or something, you know, leaving me alone to feed baby opossums or <laughs> raccoons oh, nice. and, um, you know, baby birds. And we had timers set to make sure that we fed all these birds at a certain time because baby birds have to be fed so often, but you had different ages. So each timer was set. Anyways, I got to do that. And that is what I always thought my dream would be. And I love it because you get to save an animal and then release it. So there's a lot of sadness, of course, not every animal in a rehab situation makes it, but the idea of like, you get to put them back in the wild is amazing to me. And then I learned that, like I mentioned, they run off of volunteers. They had three full-time staff. They made about $8 an hour. <laughs> they were amazing hero you know, women that 
rode their bike to work and didn't have air conditioning at home. And, you know, all they gave up so much to be able to do so much for animals. And I just wasn't, you know, it wasn't the fit for me. I am a little bit too selfish, I guess. So on I went to uh, intern at a sanctuary called Black Pine Animal Sanctuary. And they took in animals from the exotic pet trade or people had a lion as a pet themselves and realized, oh, the lions grow up. You can't keep them as a pet. And that- Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked. Who knew? Who knew? You know, chimpanzees. And so I did an internship there and did some of the touring. So we did guided tours throughout the sanctuary and I was able to help out and lead those. So I kind of got into the education side of things. and. Um, Then after college, I graduated and came to the Cincinnati Zoo for my first, um, like, real zoo animal care uh, situation. And I did a half day with Jungle Trails, which is a lot of primates, bonobos, orangutans, that sort of thing. And then also a half day with Wild Encounters. And um, that's the animals that we take out, the interpretive animals. We're working with the public and getting to inspire them. And I love that because it was so hands-on. Whereas an intern with dangerous primates, I was more just cleaning. There wasn't much an animal interaction. Right, right. So I loved the actual um, interpreting part of it and getting people excited about snakes and owls. And having an owl on my arm was the coolest thing I'd ever done, you know. So I loved that. And I ended up doing that for a little over a year and a half. And at, while I was doing that, it was just part-time. I was volunteering in the elephant department, and eventually I got a little exhausted working with uh, the public can be. You have to have the right personality, and you have to be happy all the time, and as much as I still love it, I like it in smaller doses, I think, and missed more of the animal care stuff. So a seasonal position opened up in the elephant department, and since I had been volunteering, I had my foot in the door with them, and they gave me a chance. So uh, that's kind of how I got started at the Cincinnati Zoo, and I've been in many departments since because it's a long road to full time. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's uh wow, that's awesome. But it's cool that you got so much time here because this is just an amazing zoo. I it love is. It here so much. Um cool. So and then uh what got you like when did you get to the Africa team? Yeah, so the Africa team opened up in 2014 and that was my first full-time job, which oh, yeah, I man. lucked out. It was amazing. Um, It's really hard to get in full-time here. There's a very low turnover rate. And we also have a union. So often the union members get the first choice or first dibs in a department. But the Africa department was brand new. So it was four open positions to anyone. So it was like an external job posting. And throughout my time here, I had networked and tried to meet as many people and impress as many people as I could. And basically begged everyone to write a letter of recommendation for me and got an interview and was shocked being the green keeper that I was, that they gave me a chance um, in this amazing, really diverse collection. But thankfully, all those years where I kept bouncing around from temporary job to temporary job, different department, I was getting really great experience with lots of different types of animals. So I think that's kind of how I was a good fit for Africa. Yeah. Makes sense to me. That is, uh, that's so awesome. And you've been here just since the beginning of Africa. That's really exciting. Yes. Isn't it crazy to think that like you've worked with one of the most famous animals and I promise y'all we're getting there. I'm going to keep teasing you for a little bit though, (laughs) but, and that, that had nothing to do with why you're here. Like that was the luck of the draw. 
you know, and and isn't that just weird to think about that? Yes. So many people ask me, what did you do to be able to care for Fiona? I lucked out. I was in the right department and we had a crazy situation happen and it kind of went from there. Absolutely. Now, I do have a a little thing that I like to say on my podcast, which is that, um, you know, I I like to remind people that you didn't get the job or anything because you were lucky. You got it because you were awesome and everyone loved you and like you deserve to be here. I think um, in my position, people always call me lucky and I'm like, screw you. I worked my booty off to get there and work my booty off to maintain that job. But in this case, you're right. The job you earned. Fiona was luck, and that's just amazing. Um, it's just really cool. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So um, before we get to Fiona, because I really do love teasing people, um, I want to talk about the uh, the painted dogs a little bit. Okay. Because I'm obsessed with them. Um, I have a story to tell you. It's it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's weird, but whatever. Um, so I have vitiligo. It's not super obvious right now, but basically what that means to my listeners is that uh, parts of my skin don't have proper pigmentation, and so they are always pasty white while other parts will tan or burn or whatever. Um, And I developed this a few years ago, and I was incredibly ashamed and embarrassed by it. It, It's, I mean, I've talked a little bit on this podcast before, but I don't have the best uh, personal feelings about myself and my looks. And then to add to it a, a obvious, very visible thing on my skin really sucked. Um, and then I had uh, a friend and then actually a couple of friends now have told me that, uh, it reminds them of painted dogs and it completely changed my whole perspective. And now I think it's awesome. And when the, the coloration is the most noticeable, I think of myself as a painted dog. And that's why when we were walking in here, the painted dogs were all right, like at their door. And I, I freaked out. I was so excited to see them. I mean, they're awesome animals to begin with, but those are like, one of my spirit animals now because of that. I love that. That's amazing. And actually, I have so many favorite animals. And and <laughs> people like you and I do not understand the word favorite. I have had <laughs> right. I have had friends and fans reach out and tell this to me and be like, John, stop saying that word. But right. Yes. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. And you know, I have a favorite vulture, but I love all vultures. But you know, I have a certain one. But no, painted dogs. I think are one of the coolest species in general that I get to work with, or just in the world. I find painted dogs to be so amazing. They're very family oriented. They have a really high success rate of hunting. They take such good care of one another. And so, yeah, as a species, I think they're probably the coolest animal that we get to care for. Um, But they aren't as friendly. They're very, you know, pack oriented and they like to find comfort in one another, not necessarily form relationships with their keepers, which is totally fine. As long as we can keep them happy, that's great. But yeah, painted dogs are really special. Yeah, definitely. Are they uh, protected or free contact? Oh, they're protected. Yes. I I just wanted my fans to know. (laughs) I want to go pet one, (laughs) but I know better. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, that's cool. And uh, yeah, so tell me a little bit about your pack here. Um, So currently we have eight dogs. We We've had two litters born here at the Cincinnati Zoo, and they've since been off to different zoos to keep, you know, the SSP happy and make sure that they're genetically diverse. And there aren't very many painted dogs in zoos in general. So we ended up taking in a pack of a mom and her pups, and um, they were born at the Endangered Wolf Center. And basically, usually only the alpha female is bred and has babies. But in this case, there were two females that got pregnant at the same time. And they were not loving being next to one another with a fence between them. So we kind of adopted a pack. Um, And so, yeah, we have an adopted pack here. And we also have an off-site facility where um, five of our other, our Batman 
pack lives at. Or I'm sorry, our cheese pack lives at. Your cheese pack? Yes, we named them after cheeses. So um, <laughs> here in the Africa department, we all love to eat and we all love cheese. So we named all of the painted dogs in that second litter after cheeses. That's amazing. Love it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, All right. So it's time. I know you've all been waiting patiently. Um, Let's talk about the story of Fiona. And and let's start off. Just just give the basics. I have con- I have listeners on six continents. I need Antarctica to step it up. But wow. uh, other than that, I want you know. So I know Fiona's famous at least in the U.S., but I don't know about the global reach. So give me the elevator pitch on Fiona. Okay. Yeah. So I think she's known pretty much all over the world. But yes, anyone who doesn't know, Fiona was born on January twenty fourth of two thousand seventeen. So she's almost four and a half years old now. And the crazy thing about her is her parents, Bibi and Henry, came to us. We mentioned this is the newest apartment in the zoo. And so they came to us in 2016, that summer. And there's no way we missed an earlier breeding opportunity. You know, it's not like they bred overnight the (laughs) month before and we just didn't know what happened because they didn't meet until July of 2016. So based on their eight-month gestation period, we were hoping for a baby hippo in March of 2017. And um, Fiona, you know, was born at 29 pounds. The average baby hippo calf is about 75, even 100 pounds. And the craziest part is she was born on land. Typically, hippos are born in the water. And they need the help of their mother to get to the surface of the water. They can only hold their breath for about 30 seconds when they're born. And had Fiona been born in her pool, I think she would have been hypothermic and she wouldn't have been able to get to the surface, even with the help of her mom, Bibi. Um, but yeah, so that day on January 23rd, when we saw Bibi showing signs of labor, we went back and did our math a million times, reached out to all of our colleagues, and we were asking, like, do these sound like signs of labor to you? So she was holding her tail to the side, call it tail flagging. She was laying on her side, wasn't as interested in food as usual, just doing some odd barrel rolling and... Um, We were just paying attention to her, but uh, it turns out she was in labor, and we got a call. Me and my coworkers, Dan and Dana, were at lunch, and we got a call on the radio that said, something is floating in the hippo pool. That's all they said. (laughs) So we threw our lunches away and ran back because we knew Bibi was showing odd behaviors and didn't know what to expect, and it was actually her mucus plug. So we knew, in fact, she was in labor, and, well... This isn't the short pitch, but basically we've, you know, we did the ultrasound on BB. We knew she was pregnant. We had trained her for that. So I suggested that we have our, our crew scientist, um, Dr. Jesse come and do an ultrasound and just see what, what was going on. Maybe we'd see that the baby was still there, but you know, it had passed away, that sort of thing. And we couldn't find the spine, the ribs or the heartbeat, which we had seen on an ultrasound before. So we assumed that the baby was moving through the birth canal and we just couldn't find it anymore. So we had volunteers watch BB overnight remotely through cameras. We were worried about BB. We just wanted to make sure she was safe and went through labor okay. And we're, we were not expecting a calf to be born or, sorry, to be alive when it was born. Sure. And um, so we all went to bed and we had... Okay, wait. Let me pause you there for a second. Okay. Okay. So y'all went to bed. <laughs> no, no. Seriously. What was that like for you that night? Um, You know, I remember thinking this might be a really hard day tomorrow. And I had been getting so excited for this baby hippo and 
was kind of expecting the worst. So yeah, I didn't have high hopes, that's for sure. And that was, I mean, I really want to convey to my listeners, like, you fall in love with these animals. BB's your girl. Oh, right? yes. And um, and so you were, like, could you even really sleep that night? Were you tossing and turning all night? Like, what was it like for you? Well, I did have my ringer on loud and made sure, you know, that there was no way I was going to miss it if I got a call. We actually, the funny thing is, I haven't told this very often, um, I was on the team to make the birth plan to help we type it out. We have all these things. We had the idea of making this giant paddle with a scoop on the end in case the baby was born in the water and we needed to help get it out for some reason. We had all these plans of how we were going to help BB be successful in this process. And it was put on my boss's desk, I think the day before for her approval. Like, here's what oh we'll do goodness. in this situation. Here's what we'll do in this situation. Um, and oh my gosh, we didn't have this situation in <laughs> mind. Um, but yeah, so whenever there's a pregnant animal, the you know weeks leading up to the potential due date, you kind of always have your phone on, on your ringer on loud, you're listening and checking it throughout the middle of the night. So yeah, I woke up to a text and it was just this photo of a lifeless looking little hippo that had crazy feet. And, um, you know, I knew that we would all be called if something did happen and BB had a baby, but my coworker, Dan lived five minutes away at that time. So he was the number one to get here first. My boss lived like seven minutes away. And so he sent the photo. And the first question I asked was, is it alive? Wow. Yeah. It did not look that way. And there was no, there was nothing else. All there was, was that photo. No, no, no text with it. Come on guys. Let's, let's communicate a little better. (laughs) Yes. Don't, don't do this to me. So, you know, I'm sure it took like a minute for him to respond, but it felt like forever. And the answer was yes. And basically they were just trying to decide whether or not we were going to step in and help at that point because she couldn't stand and therefore she couldn't nurse. And obviously things were going to go downhill if she didn't start doing those two things. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I was called in to come help around 5 a.m. So she was born at 2.57 a.m. And, again, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to do. They gave her about an hour to see if she could stand. After that, we decided to go in and dry her off and put a bunch of hay down to maybe help her stay warm and also get her footing so she could potentially nurse. And the fact that BB was shifting away and allowing us to touch her baby is insane. And that just goes to show like BB knew something was wrong and there wasn't anything she could do to help. Unfortunately, a lot of hippos I've been told when they have babies, they can't get pictures of them. The moms will like block them out and not let the keepers even see them. That's how protective they are of their calves. And also let alone like get a weight, you know? So The fact that BB was shifting so easily for food said a lot. And after that second hour, she wasn't, you know, getting any better. She was only getting colder and worse. So when I walked in the door around 5 a.m., we were in our dive room or our dive office, which can be temperature controlled the most in that building. We wanted to make sure she wasn't taken to the nursery or somewhere else because we wanted her to be able to smell and hear her parents. And I think that was a really, really smart decision. And So I walk into this dive office. It's 98 degrees. She's covered in towels and being spooned by my six foot three, (laughs) you know, male coworker. And he says, do you want to take turns? Do you want to switch me? And I'm like, 
yes. Uh, I will spoon the baby hippo. No problem. Before she was born, I'd always joked, like, I might risk my job to hug that baby hippo. It might be worth it to lose my job to hug a baby hippo. And ironically, it became my job to keep her alive. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Um, so at this point in time, did you did you think, I mean, were you hoping were you were you thinking that there was a chance that this was all going to work out and y'all were going to or were you like I'm going to make this baby's life as comfortable as I can until that thought never crossed my mind as far oh, I as love like you for that uh, yeah. I love you so much for that I'd be in the same exact boat <laughs> yeah no I hear I hear you yeah I was just like this isn't good and I did get negative at one point but I was still really excited and just couldn't believe that she was alive so. I was really, really hopeful, but also scared. But I wasn't thinking like, oh, we're going to just make her as comfortable as possible until this ends. I was, there was more hope than that. But when our PR team came in, the director of our our PR team came in later that morning and I was in there cleaning because we still had to take care of the other hippos and all the other animals in our department. And so I was just like sweeping or hosing a stall or something. And he walked in the door. I said, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I, I came to see the baby hippo. And I was like, you know she might die, right? Like it just <laughs> came flying out of my mouth, and I just oh, wanted no. him to know, like you can't, you can't share this. Like it could go terribly because typically, you know, in the zoo world, we kind of keep births a little bit secret just to make sure we aren't sending out, you know, sad messages if something does go wrong. But it, we also love to be transparent, and everyone knew that baby was pregnant. We shared the amazing news that we had the first ever ultrasound on a hippo. And yeah, so I was a little bit worried. <laughs> I totally get that. I will say, I think that Fiona has had, you know, countless impacts on people. Absolutely. But one of the ones that I don't think ever gets talked about is I think Fiona has changed the transparency at some zoos. Um, first of all, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the Cincinnati PR team is freaking incredible. Yes. And is very transparent and is very good about that kind of thing. Um, and And I love that. I love that so much. Um, and I think that what, you know, the transparency about Fiona and the uncertainty, they did not, they, like you said, they were not transparent post facto when it was like, yay, Fiona's going to be right. good. We were all watching along and hoping and, and just, you know, vibing with Fiona as best as we could and sending our thoughts and, and everything, um, like from the start. And I think that was amazing. And I've seen more zoos doing that since. And I think that is incredible. It also I, makes my podcast easier. But. <laughs> I absolutely 100% agree. So in that moment, I was like, what are you doing? But it ended up being the absolute best decision for so many reasons. One, you mentioned the transparency. I do agree. I think other zoos are being more transparent. We are more transparent by the day ever since then. And also, it helped us get through all of these hard times, helped others get through hard times, you know. Uh, we're next to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. We heard so many stories about how there were parents there with their premature infants and how watching Fiona get through the the day and one more day and fight that fight, the underdog story, you know, helped them. And it helped us with all of our, you know, viewers, listeners, fans, whatever you want to call them, fighting along with us and sending us positive vibes and so many cards and so many donuts and cookies. We joke we all gained 20 pounds that year um, because we didn't have time for real lunches. It wasn't like you get to go and sit and eat your lunch. It was like you're in a 98 degree room with a baby hippo and you're lucky if you got like a Gatorade and a cookie that day. Um, but 
because we, like I mentioned, we had all the other animals to take care of. So it was a lot. Um, but yeah, I think it changed zoos and my life and Fiona's life because yeah, it kept us going. It inspired us and she inspired others with everyone following along. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's, let's pick up the story then. So we're, we're in the first day and, and everyone's cuddling Fiona and, um, you know, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty confident. Uh, you're doing your other work. You're working out the schedule. You're figuring that out. What, um, what kind of stuff were you doing? What kind of stuff could you do? How did you feed her? What was going on with her feet? Tell me things. Yeah. So that was a lot. And the schedule was crazy. I give uh, my coworker, Wendy, so many props for figuring all of that out. It ended up being about 25 people helping us manage Fiona alone. That's amazing. Yes. Because there were uh, five full-time keepers here in Africa. And I mentioned we giraffe, everything. We had to take care of all of our other animals, but we also needed to be caring for this little hippo. So the times that weren't, you know, when we weren't feeding her, bottle feeding, you know, that sort of thing, we had people who would just kind of watch her. Even I could be in the hippo building cleaning with BB and Henry and they would just call me over if they needed something. But of course, our vet staff was there. They had to tube feed her for the first few days until she would take a bottle. And that was terrifying to watch, terrifying to do. I mean, it's Intubating a hippo, uh, a baby hippo, a, a, an extremely undersized baby hippo. Exactly. That's insane. It's not like they had hundreds of babies to practice on before no. that. That was yeah. their first time, you know, on a premature baby hippo. I'm sorry, their first time with a baby hippo. Right. No, not I their first time. Know, of course. Yeah, with, but, but that's that's unbelievable. Right. And it was hard to watch. Uh, we had our nursery staff that was working with us, you know, helping us learn the ins and outs of bottle feeding and that sort of thing and making sure we were doing all the right stuff. And then our nutritionist who was working with all sorts of people trying to make the right formula. But that kind of goes to something I haven't mentioned yet. We did those ultrasounds. So BB was trained to lean into a gate, allow us to press an ultrasound wand to her belly. She was getting rewarded the entire time. Um, So that was the perfect setup for us to milk her. Wait a minute. You milked Okay. Yeah, right, I've I'm never milked a goat. I've never milked a cow. Anything that's semi-normal to say. <laughs> but my claim to fame is that I've milked a hippo. Oh, my God. Very fun. Um, <laughs> Very crazy. But, yeah, I can't remember at this point who thought of that. But it was the best idea ever. So we did – we used that trained behavior for the ultrasound because we just needed her in the exact same position. And we decided to see if she would let us milk her. And she's a fantastic hippo and very food motivated. So she allowed us for about five days. How do you milk a hippo? <laughs> it takes about three or four people. Okay. So one person is feeding her. One is asking her to lean in and kind of being the spotter. Make sure you aren't about to get your arm smashed or something because there's always a gate between us and right, the hippos. Right. And the other is underneath with a little Tupperware and milking her just like you would imagine a cow or a goat. Yes. And it was hard. The The positioning was difficult. You know, you're on the ground, you know, all fours kind of just trying to reach. And for the first five days or so, we were milking her at least three times a day because, I mean, for anyone who's had a baby at home knows babies have to eat a lot. And also the moms have to be stimulated to continue producing milk. And I think eventually it just wasn't enough. And also she was getting a little uncomfortable with it. So it didn't last long, but it was life-saving. We were able to give Fiona some of the colostrum, the very important first milk that comes in, that has all the antibodies that she needs. And then we sent some off to the milk repository at the Smithsonian, and it's actually full of exotic 
animal milk and they analyzed it for us and told us the fat and protein and carb content. And therefore, we were able to make the right formula for a hippo rather than giving her cow's milk or goat's milk that she was so underdeveloped. There's no way she would have been able to digest that correctly. And it probably wouldn't have had the right amount of fat or protein. And it was life-saving for sure. Milking a hippo, it it saved Fiona's (laughs) life. One of the other, you know, there's a million things that I'm like, if this hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened, Fiona wouldn't be here, but I so I came into this interview fully knowing that we were going to go deep and fully knowing that I was going to hear stuff I didn't know about this. But milking a hippo had never even kind of crossed my mind. And I don't even know what to do right now. I am just that's amazing. Um, And then, yeah, the whole the whole thing with the Smithsonian um, and their their milk repository. And they do keep um, a whole bank of stuff that they can analyze and they help zoos with this kind of thing. It's, It's really fascinating. Um, and not super well known, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It is. And it's so important if this ever happens again, now we can help out the next place that needs the help, you know, and yep. make it so easier cool. on them. <laughs> so cool. Yes. I love it. So, okay. Um, so, and then you had mentioned something was up with her feet. Oh, well, yes. So hooved animals in general, I mean, you can imagine for the poor mothers that wouldn't feel great. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to pass some hooves. <laughs> yes. To have some hooves. Entering the world. Um, so they are covered in almost like a clear gelatinous material. We have plenty of videos of giraffe births that have happened here at the Cincinnati Zoo. If anyone wants to check it out, you can see the hooves coming out. And it's like a clear gelatinous material that kind of protects the mothers and the calves. And it just dries out and their hooves look normal in just a, a day or two. But Fiona being so premature, you know, anywhere from six to ten weeks premature, I think she was especially underdeveloped and hers her feet just looked crazy they were kind of shredded at the ends and um there was just a lot of the gelatinous material so it was it was very odd everyone was asking is this normal and we reached out to many places asking and it turns out it is but i think hers were just a little exaggerated being so premature sure sure makes sense yes it's time for interrupting 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 John. Mm. Okay, because I am a big fan of Jello, I thought that I would do a quick deep dive on this uh, gelatinous mass that covers the hooves of hoofstock when they are born. The proper name for this substance is, well, actually, it's quite debated. The spelling is E P O N Y C H I U M. And depending on what source you use online, looking at all scientific sources, of course, it is pronounced four different ways. Some people call it the eponychium, some call it the eponychium, some call it the eponychium, and some call it the eponychium. And before any of you write to me and say, oh no, it's definitely this one, I can tell you there are biologists out there who pronounce it differently than whatever one you think is right. I can tell you that because I spent way too long looking at reputable sources and listening to them speak about this thing. And uh, yeah, uh, Google has failed me. Anyway, the eponychium is basically analogous to the living cells of the nail bed of humans behind the cuticle. In both cases, it is living cell tissue that exists to protect an area, be it the human finger or the... uh, hooves of the calves as well as the mother as the calf goes through the birth canal. And in the case of hoofstock, it is absorbed as the calf grows up. 
But of course, the most fascinating fact about the Eponychium is that it has two nicknames, Golden Slippers and Fairy Feet. That just makes me happy. Okay, who's ready for me to shut up about this weirdness and get back to the cuteness of Fiona? Everyone? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, we went from tube feeding to bottle feeding, figured all of that out, and we had, again, help from so many people, people from our aquatics team, our PR team. We called them babysitters. They probably (laughs) had the best jobs ever because they didn't necessarily have the stress of keeping her alive, just babysitting. And then when something goes wrong, mom, come, you know. (laughs) Uh, So Fiona had many, many moms and aunts and uncles and and. Yeah, so from there, it just kind of got harder because eventually she started teething much sooner than she should have and was in a lot of pain. Great. So literally everything about her was underdeveloped except for the one thing that can hurt, which was overdeveloped. Right? Great. What are the odds? I don't know why it happened. (laughs) But yeah, she stopped taking a bottle and sadly became very, very dehydrated. And the more dehydrated you are, the harder it is to place an IV, but the more important you need the IV and also with really thick skin, it was hard to find anything that would last for more than 30 minutes. And so she was in a, a bad way and we weren't sure if she was going to make it. Some of us were saying goodbye as, you know, as, as it would be our weekend and we were leaving for the night. Weren't really sure, you know, in our heads saying goodbyes. But, right, right. And um, thankfully, somebody had the idea to call the vascular access unit at Children's Hospital They've helped us with many animals before, but this was amazing. They brought over a special ultrasound machine that can find veins that are deeper. And they have. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. They have all the right tools and right size needles and catheters and everything that you would use on a premature human. And they were able to give her a life saving IV that lasted four days. And don't forget, she's moving around. So we have this taped to a hippo that needs to be wet, and you have to try and keep it dry and keep her from moving too much and keep this IV in her. But it saved her life, and from then on, I'd say things got a little less stressful. There weren't any more like, oh my gosh, this is really scary moments. Um, I mean, introducing her to the adult hippos, there were like a little bit, there were a few moments there. But um, honestly, I was pretty confident. We We had some great hippos, so wasn't too worried about them. Makes sense. Makes sense. So how um, how many days in was this, uh, the whole vascular thing? That was about six weeks in, I believe. Yeah, it's been a while and the time is like all crazy. But oh, yeah, I'm I sure. think she was about six weeks, six to eight weeks old when that was going on. And, all right, cool. And how big was she at that point? She was probably only maybe 50-ish pounds, if that. Not, yeah. Not okay. No, not okay. no, we were still lifting her very, very easily. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, so then tell me, um, give me some numbers about how she grew and cause right now I know she's about 1600 pounds, right? She's actually 1716 oh. pounds. All right. Yes. And that is like, she's caught up now, right? She's, she's not. Oh really? No. So we are not worried about her okay, at sure, all. Sure. Right. Um, she's trained for blood draws. She's amazing. We know all of her, you know, everything is healthy and she's on the growth curve going upwards but we're wondering if she's going to be a little hippo all of her life so um it's kind of a good comparison but maybe not um winnie at the memphis zoo was born in march of 2017 when fiona should have been born and she already weighs over three thousand pounds oh okay and the way the reason i say it may not be a great comparison is because her mother is huge and so 
But BB is also a very large female hippo. But yeah, Winnie's mom is very, very large, and Winnie is already about the size of a full-grown female hippo. They say they average closer to 2,800 pounds. So Winnie being the same age, full-grown, weighing over 3,000 pounds. Fiona's only 1,700. So we don't know. We wouldn't mind as long as she stays healthy or she's kind of a smaller hippo because it's super cute. But no doubt, no doubt. That's that's really cool. Yeah, but as of like April, April ish she was 150 pounds and she was eating 60 ounces of formula five times a day (laughs) so it was a lot of bottles and we eventually moved up to calf bottles which are giant ones that are basically imagine a two liter bottle of pop or soda or whatever you call it (laughs) i call it pop very strongly about this but i know where (laughs) i am so we can go with pop for today so two liters she was getting two of those um, three or four times a day, and she could chug them in three minutes. Whoa. So imagine chugging four liters of soda or pop in just a couple of minutes. Um, and yeah, we had, that was the biggest bottle we could find. And it was pretty amazing. We started mixing in her grain eventually. We would um, break it up and blend it and make sure it was small and put it in her bottle. So she was starting to get the grain that the adults eat that has all their vitamins and extra nutrients and minerals that they need. So when did you realize that Fiona was a celebrity? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, one of my very favorite photos that I've ever had taken of myself is me reading her her fan mail. And that was really, really early on. Um, So probably within a month, I think we were starting to see how big of an impact she had all over. And then, man, at I think it was around six months old, she was out for the public And I'm not kidding you. When we would be behind the scenes opening doors, which are really loud because hippo doors have to be like almost a thousand pounds. And we have like a hydraulic system that moves them. It's very loud. But there would be crowds like 10 people deep across the entire habitat with lines and everything waiting to get there. And you'd be opening these doors and she'd take one step out into their view and it was like a crowd going crazy for, you know, Beyonce, Taylor Swift. It was insane. You could hear the oohs and the ahs. And you'd go out there and you'd see people with tears coming down their faces. And it's like, holy cow, I can't believe I work with a hippo that gets this sort of reaction. It was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I, um, you know, I, I go to a lot of zoos. I meet a lot of cool animals. And um, I remember the first time that I came here and I was like, oh, I'm going to go see Fiona now. And it was kind of like, I mean, it was well into her, uh, you know, adulthood. Now, I mean, she's still a juvenile, but it was past all of this. And I remember just being like, like, I like hippos. I've actually hung out with some really cool hippos already. So like, it's just going to be another hippo. And then I got there and I was like, oh, you're really special. And I don't think it was the hype. I think it's who she is. Talk about her personality a little bit because she is all personality. She might not be full-sized, but she is just just two hippos personalities. That's for sure. Fiona definitely makes up for size with her personality. And it's funny because people come for tours and they meet her and I always wonder, will she live up to their expectations? (laughs) And I also wonder, you know, or they wonder if she's actually who we say she is. So does she love the camera? Yes, she sure does. Uh, Does she really love people? Absolutely. So you can tell when animals, you know, some love food, some love attention and uh, tactile, you know, like pats or scratches. Fiona loves it all. You can be doing nothing and 
or just cleaning inside and she'll come in and just want to see what you're up to and hang out for a few minutes if she has access, if it's, the, you know, the right weather. And there aren't many animals that'll just come hang out with you right, right. for fun. And then, of course, we're doing lots of videos and things. We have what we call the training wall and the guests can view us as we're doing this. And so sometimes we'll have news events or even just somebody here with a fancy camera. She'll leave me with a full bucket of food and swim right to that camera and pose. <laughs> and also, one of the coolest things about her is she seems to pick out little kids. And so she sees them sitting at the glass. She'll go right up to them and give them this amazing wow moment and make their day. You know, I, I just think she knows. It might be because we had a camera on her face from literally day one. Sure, yeah. And she's used to it. Or, you know, she's just that special and she senses people and, and really loves them. Which is ideal. In a zoo world, we want her to love people. Right, yeah. And be a great hippo, which she is. That is amazing. Um, So... This okay. I clearly know that you would not do this. I clearly know that they are protected contact. But do you think that you could go and give her a hug right now and she would just be chill? Again, I know it would never happen, but she's that type of hippo where you could just go give her a hug and she'd be like, "Oh, hey." You know, that's a really good question and I was lucky enough to still share space with her when she was nearly 800 pounds. I think was the last time my boss let me go and I was like, "I just want a photo, you know," and we made sure it was okay, but and and it's different because, yeah, we used to work with elephants free contact and right, they're 10,000 right. pounds. But I don't think Fiona would be aggressive in the sense where she would do something on purpose. But out of excitement, out of the wrong movement, I think she could absolutely hurt us. And so, therefore, if I could, I don't think I would as much sure, as I would right, want of to. Course, of course. Because, yeah, she, even if she, the way they, you know, behave around one another involves swinging their gigantic mm-hmm. heads with their mouths open and at one another and that sort of thing. Um, so I don't think she would ever do anything on purpose, but there's a really good chance. I mean, she could Oh yeah, take yeah. you out. Like I said, I would not, I know you would never do it. I just, it's cool to know that you feel like, yeah, we'd be buds. We're, yeah. It, we, we are buds. It would be yeah. nice. Yeah. But her enthusiasm might be the be the issue <laughs> yeah yeah it, i imagine it's like a really really excited puppy only it's a 1600 pound puppy. exactly and yeah <laughs> yes very cool it's time for interrupting 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 interrupting, interrupting john again Okay, I'm being slightly pedantic here. Actually, I'm being more than slightly pedantic here. But Fiona is actually over 1,700 pounds, not just 1,600 pounds. And you know what? After everything that baby girl has gone through, I'm going to give her all the credit for every pound she earns. So now that is corrected. Okay, back to the interview. Um, so uh, can we talk about Henry for a second? Sure. Okay, so so Henry's no longer with us, and this is with Fiona's dad. So what, what happened there? Uh, well, this is actually one of those things that I hate to talk about. Uh, he is probably my top three favorite animals I've ever worked with wow. above Fiona. Wow. I mean, he was an amazing male hippo. He had the personality to die for. He loved people, and maybe that's partly where Fiona gets it from. Um, he would open his mouth and just sit there for minutes, letting you flap his giant tongue up and down, rub his cheeks. Like he loved attention. And, um, he was an older guy. He was 36 when he started to get sick. And the issue is we don't know exactly what happened, but he had some sort of gastrointestinal issue that he just wasn't able to keep weight on and eventually wasn't eating as much. And 
the coolest part is we introduced him to Fiona and, you know, took all the really careful steps to do that because often male hippos are not reintroduced to their calves in zoos and they wouldn't have a relationship with their calf in the wild. And he was just such a special guy that we trusted in him. And um, one of my favorite photos I've ever taken was the first day we let them out together and it's all three of them and they're just kind of cocking their heads looking at the camera all at once. Somehow all the, the way they swim, it doesn't even make sense for them to be looking out towards us. Um, but yeah, he was just so good with her and BB made sure to put him in his place. Sure. But she didn't even really have to. He was awesome. So yeah, unfortunately we lost Henry in October of 2017, but he was able to be reintroduced or introduced to his daughter Fiona and he was just there was something about him that was so so special that's that's really sweet and I'm so glad he got that Fiona time me too does it help you uh with that loss having Fiona and you know I think it I mean the answer is yes actually I was going to say I think so but it does because I had so much to focus on but you know, sometimes as a zookeeper, you're doing things that are a little bit mindless, like hosing a stall. And you think about things and, oh my gosh, it still happens every now and then, but for the first year or so, it was hard to just not have anything going on in my mind and be in that building and just thinking of him. So the fact that I also had a million interviews to do and people wanting to see this amazing little hippo constantly definitely you know made work a little bit easier and so exciting all of the time that's awesome i'm glad that worked out that way for you yes very cool so uh we have a incredibly special hippo family here and and henry was a part of it and and bb's amazing and a great mother and and so patient and loving with fiona and uh watching them play together is such a joy um and then and then fiona the star of the show is there anything else that you want to say about fiona oh gosh i mean She's awesome. She's changed my life. I've gotten to do the most amazing things because of her, be a part of, you know, interviews that you would never, nightly news, like all sorts of things. But the best thing that I've ever done, I think, in my whole, uh, definitely my whole career, but maybe my whole life is swim with a hippo. I mean, having this little baby hippo follow me around in the pool, all of us, you know, we all got to do it on Team Fiona. But it was so much fun. Just like, Hopping in the pool, first of all, that you're not supposed to be in, you know, like you don't get in the hippo pool, um, but going out there and kind of teaching her where the shallow ends were and her coming to us when she would be a little bit tired from all of that swimming, you know, they don't actually really swim. They push off of the bottom and it was a lot of work for her to get from nine feet deep to the surface. So that's a tiny hippo. That's a lot of, a lot of room. Yes. Um, it was a blast. Yeah. And also like my coworkers were out there and. It was just a really fun time. So I think my my favorite part about getting to work with Fiona was actually getting to teach her sort of how to swim and and follow along. And you said that might be the best thing that's ever happened in your life. Uh, you're a new mother, correct? <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> Called me out. Uh, Happy yes. Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. No, but that's, I totally Thank understand. You. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with Fiona, at least, it was, you know, we'd stay up all night one night, but I got to sleep the other nights of the week when somebody else was on baby duty. <laughs> made a difference oh i love it that's hilarious um cool so uh to close this out are there any um conservation organizations or any one that you'd like to give a shout out to or anything sure so if you come to the zoo well if you sign up way ahead of time you can actually do a tour to meet fiona 
Um, and we support the Ugandan Waterways Project, and they actually support rangers in Uganda, and they kind of watch the waterways there for many things, not just to protect hippos, but they protect, you know, all of the other wildlife that is around, and they use the waterways to do that, to patrol the waterways, I should say. And so the tours that we do here actually help by sending money to that project, and we buy them boats with that money and help pay wages and that sort of thing. So the Ugandan Waterways Project is an awesome one if you would like to support hippos. It's funny because hippos aren't considered endangered technically. They're vulnerable, but every day with more habitat loss and droughts with you know climate change and that sort of thing, and then um, more elephants and rhinos being poached. People are now turning to hippos because those tusks that they have are technically ivory. And they're found in such large groups, they're a little bit easier to get to. So, unfortunately, hippos are very vulnerable to extinction in the future. So, yes, if you can help, a way you can do that is by meeting Fiona um, or, you know, giving if you can. But honestly, I think it's so easy to do things here in your own home. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say here. You have listeners all over the world. True, so true. I'm not sure, but you know, recycling, turning off your lights, trying to um, just be a good steward of the earth is helpful in a lot of ways. Amazing. I love it. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Ron Safari Poop Story. Hit me. So I can't believe this hasn't come up. There's so much to talk about, Fiona, of course. But one of the things we did while raising a baby hippo was sit in a pool with her, right? So in the wild, they would be with their mother 24-7. They would be right up next to her snuggled. So we never wanted Fiona to feel alone. And we would put her in different size pools. One that, you know, we started off as two feet deep and three feet long. It was tiny. It was like a tub. And then we had this giant blue pool that a lot of people might recognize from our videos and such. And we would make sure it was a certain temperature and do all these things. And it was so fun. We got to cuddle with this baby hippo, right? You see all these photos of us holding a hippo in the water and just sitting there. And that was our job for hours out of the day. What nobody knew, or talked about at least, was that she was going to the bathroom the entire time we were sitting in this, like, semi-warm bath water. So imagine you're in the bath and it's been, you know, 20 minutes or so. The, the water's no longer steamy and nice and refreshing. You've been in there an hour. You're all pruny and there is hippo poop floating everywhere. <laughs> and who knows where that got, you know, we're just wearing, you know, gym shorts or whatever and literally bathing in hippo poop and... <laughs> It was floating everywhere. <laughs> Amazing. That yes. is perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Let's go say hi to Fiona, okay? All right, let's do it. And so we did. I got to go hang out with Fiona and her mama, Bibi. It was incredible. Y'all, I meet a lot of animals for this podcast, um, but this was the first time I ever met a celebrity, I think, and it was it was really special. The truth is, uh, just like Jenna said, the the personality of of Fiona and and of her mom, frankly, really shine through, and you get past the celebrity, and it's just an amazing time meeting an incredible animal. 
you can tell that these are some seriously special hippos, but not as special as their care team. Am I right? I mean, guys, they milked a hippo. I, I don't know what to do with that. I didn't even know that was something you could do. As a matter of fact, when Jenna told that story, my first thought was of the movie Meet the Parents, where Ben Stiller says, oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. And then Robert De Niro says, I've got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? Anyway, uh, I'm sure that you already know this, but you can find amazing pictures of Fiona and the other animals at the zoo by hitting up Instagram or Facebook at Cincinnati Zoo or going to CincinnatiZoo.org. And remember, friends, Fiona's credits backwards would be Sanoif Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.